0: Thank you, Chris. Chris has been such a blessing, y'all. We are blessed people. All right, we're in Colossians chapter four. You want to go ahead and turn that way? If you didn't bring your Bible, shame, shame on you. Lord, we love you so much this morning. We thank you for the manifestation of your presence, of your glory in this house. Lord, it's all we live for is to know you. Lord, all we live for is to bless you, to serve you. We just declare the lordship of Christ Jesus over this house. or we humble ourselves as servants today and say, whatever you're speaking, whatever you would have of us, God, we'll do, we'll say. So come on, Lord, send me anywhere. Lord, put me exactly where you want me. Lord, make us effective in reaching this region with a gospel message, by the power of the Spirit. Lord, let no man touch your glory. Let it all be about Jesus, his beauty, his splendor, his wonder and worth. May he be the supreme lover of our souls. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Amen. Well, Charles Finney was the leading evangelist in the second great awakening. So when you think the first great awakening, you should think Jonathan Edwards, Whitfield, George Whitfield, John Wesley, When you think the second great awakening. Um, Finney was really the leading, he, the leading act, the leading evangelist. I've told you before that Finney was a, a lawyer and um, he loved to bring his scripture and then just argue against the people just to fully, as if he was in a courtroom, fully prove them as sinners in need of grace And oftentimes people would just break down and cry out for God's mercy. And it was beautiful. Sometimes seeing a hundred thousand people show up and turn to the Lord. Um, Just an incredible, an incredible ministry. People often point out that Charles Charles Finney's doctrine. um, Wasn't necessarily like clean and precise. um, But his preaching was so effective and revival swept our nation through his ministry. Uh, what we don't talk about, what many people forget to mention is we, we pretty well know Charles Finney. Our history books have told us about Charles Finney, but we don't talk about Daniel Nash. Um, Daniel Nash, sometimes called father Nash was Charles Finney's secret weapon in every facet. Nash was a pastor and a preacher. His, his first pastorate um, he saw like 70 people get saved in the first year, which you're thinking New York, the town, the town has like 2000 people that live in it. So 70 people coming to the Lord is really significant. Um, One says people who knew Nash, let me say it this way. People who knew Nash said that there was a season where he was a bit stale and was a bit cold. But after being run out of his church, he was essentially voted out. Why he was voted out, history doesn't tell us. Again, history doesn't tell us much about Daniel Nash. But he, um, after being run out, he was on the ordination board for Charles Finney. And so Charles Finney came to, to essentially present himself as a candidate to be a minister. And Daniel Nash sat there and approved him and going through this season of kind of stagnancy himself. And Daniel Nash... Um, immediately developed some kind of eye issue where his eyes were really really swollen and sensitive and so for 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 weeks he retreated to a dark room where he had to live in total darkness i mean it was there in this place of he's just been run out of his church where he was actually a really effective minister again the the only thing that I've read or heard that we have of why his church voted him out is they said something like we want to, we would rather have a younger minister. Daniel Nash was like 41. Um, so obviously lifespan at time was shorter than, but still strange. So after he's run out of his church, he develops an eye issue where for weeks he's alone in the dark. And it was there that he totally gave himself to prayer totally gave his life over to intercession. It was there that he laid before the Lord and said, God, for the rest of my life, I will wrestle with you in prayer to see breakthrough for the nations. I will not stop praying for the rest of my life. And now, so Daniel Nash is somewhat recovers. They say that there's a season where he still had to wear a veil in front of his eyes because um, the light causes damage. Um, and for... The rest of his his physical life, he didn't live much longer actually, um, he would be the intercessor that goes before Charles Finney, sometimes weeks before. Um, So if Charles Finney knew, okay, I'm going to go to this town, we're going to hold revivals in this city, he would send Daniel Nash first. And Daniel Nash would put himself up in some inn. There are actually accounts where... um, He would put himself, he would go to an inn and they wouldn't have any rooms left. And so he would just say, can I, can I hang out in the basement? And they would put him in the basement, sometimes with no food and water. And he would just cry and prayer for weeks, just weeks. He would cry in prayer. Sometimes Charles Finney would stand up to preach at a great revival meeting, and the crowds would applaud his charisma and his anointing and his ability to articulate the gospel, and it was beautiful and wonderful, but no one knew that Daniel Nash was hiding behind the pulpit, crying out in prayer, and had been for weeks. There's one account in Finney's writings we have of Daniel Nash, Father Nash, Charles Finney wrote this. Charles Finney kept a good diary of his life, and so some of what we know about Daniel Nash we know from Finney's diary. Finney wrote, on one occasion, when I got to town to start a revival, a lady contacted me who ran a boarding house. She said, Brother Finney, do you know of Father Nash? He and two other men have been at my boarding house for the last three days, but they haven't eaten a bite of food. I opened the door and peeped in at them because I could hear them groaning, and I saw them down on their faces. They have been this way for three days, lying prostrate on the floor and groaning. I thought something awful must have happened to them. I was afraid to go in. I didn't know what to do. Would you please come and see them? if essentially says, they're just gripped with the spirit of prayer. Leave them alone. Now from a historical perspective, again, we talk about the... Th- The second great awakening and the way that Charles Finney's ministry impacted this country and it was powerful, but from heaven's historical perspective, I believe we would talk a lot more about Father Nash locked away in the quiet, going days without food and sleep and crying out for God to move. See, we've got so used to, in our nation in particular, um, clinging to what we see with the eyes. And we love a gifted man, an anointed man, a hot preacher, and we and we want to see another great awakening led by George Whitfield. You know, the, the very Whitfield was a, was a dramatic man with a great preaching gift. And we do need that. But but from heaven's perspective, what we probably need more is some man or woman or group of men and women who would just lock themselves away and cry and groan and pray for long hours. And, and the thing about prayer is you don't have to actually be that articulate, right? And like you don't need a theological degree or pedigree. And like no one cares even about your great sin or past mistakes. Heaven is just looking for a man or woman to put their face on the ground and to cry out. Now I'm going to talk honestly for you with a, for, for a few moments. I don't know any other way to do ministry other than to cry out in prayer for God to bring breakthrough. I don't know any other way to be effective. I've studied. I want you to hear me. I read. Like, I apply my mind to try to be able to articulate the word of God to you. But even this word is living and active. And if I'm not in tune with the spirit who breathed the word, then I'm ineffective. Like, all I know how to do as your pastor is to say, hey, let's pray again. Let's contend with the heavens to see breakthrough. When a church has no power or when a church has grown stagnant, the natural response should be for all the people to rise up and say, let's hit our faces in prayer again. Forget the strategies. Who cares about what what method has worked for the street down the the church down the corner or what we could build to maybe look better to the community? Who cares? Our community is not gripped by the fact that we don't have the nicest, hugest facility. Our community is gripped by demonic powers. And I can't wrestle them down with buildings or programs. We only wrestle them down in prayer. And our addicts don't need us to have a better marketing strategy. The addicts in our community need men and women who will groan in prayer and wrestle against demonic powers who have gripped them. That's all I know. And I don't say that to bolster myself up because i too struggle with seasons of staleness and feeling like i'm just making it and just surviving we talked the last couple weeks about um the concept of ephesians 6 i'm not on notes now so forgive me Uh, of ephesians 6 where paul says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood but we wrestle with principalities of the air and spiritual darkness and my kids have been um I think I told you this. They, there's, they've been going to, uh, to, to wrestling and they're, whatever, they're interested in it. So I'm like, you go for it, kids. I don't know anything about wrestling. But I'm sitting there watching my kids like, and, and the other kids try to wrestle and thinking, like you're using all of your physical strength. You've got to be strong physically. And then thinking, like how much of this is strategy and your mental strength? And then how much of this is just heart and like zeal? And then I'm watching these kids pinned and feeling like, I know what it's like to feel pinned in prayer. Like I can't get up and I'm totally, but but what do I, the only thing I can do is, is to keep fighting and keep wiggling and squirming and trying to roll out. And then I'm thinking that's exactly what Paul means. He says that the church wrestles in prayer. Sometimes the church in seasons, we feel like we have hell totally pinned and there's breakthrough. And then sometimes it feels like I just got knocked on my butt, but all I can do is get back up and use all of my mental strength, all of my emotional strength, all of my spirit, all of my physical strength to put my face back in the ground and wrestle down hell strategies. And see, our grandparents knew a lot about that. You read... Um, I don't know. Pick up Finney, or oh, um, well, I'm losing the 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 man who led in prayer, who was a cousin of Jonathan Edwards, losing his name. You you pick up these men who really tried to minister, and you'll find them um, writing in their in their journals. I've been so moved by this. Even in Whitfield's journal, you'll find him say things like, "Today my heart feels cold. Oh God, breathe on me again." Today I wrestled in prayer, but I felt no victory, but I'll have to fast and contend until I feel the Spirit breathe again. But see, Because they were dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes they would say, I feel like I'm getting the snot beat out of me. But Holy Spirit, come bring breakthrough. The response to getting the snot beat out of you was not to lay down and try to be more trendy and be more programmatic. The response to feeling like your face is in the dirt is to get up and cry again and to pray again. And every move of God there was a Daniel Nash underneath the surface. And again, from our history books, they'll tell you about Finney. But when you get to the history books of heaven, I promise you, they will tell you about Daniel Nash. I promise you. Now let's read our text. And we're going to find Paul saying to the Colossian church, and I want you to have this perspective Remember again that we talking we're talking about the Colossian Church who is dealing with what's called the Colossian heresy. And so for a for a season, the Colossian Church has um wrestled with uh false teachers. They've fought, they've argued. Now Paul's just written them to establish pure doctrine. They now know that they're to reject this new teaching. They now know that they're to find unity again. Paul, remember the last couple of weeks Paul's talked about how there to live in unity and to, and to forgive one another. And so he's dealt with doctrine. He's dealt with the bitterness. And now Paul's going to essentially say, all right, get back to work. Okay, you, you fought about your doctrine. Good, you need to fight about your doctrine sometimes. You need to wrestle with pure doctrine. You, you need to um, have hard conversations. And when the hard conversations are over and you, the elders kind of establish again, what is our doctrine? What are we trying to pursue? Paul's going to say, now it's time to put your shoes back on. Get back to fighting in prayer. Get back to wrestling. And so I want you to have that in mind. He's just said, here's pure doctrine. You're new in Christ. You don't need any other message. Then he said, forgive each other because you're all tense and frustrated. Now that you're in unity again, let's talk about prayer for a moment. Because you're called to be, uh, my house shall be a house of prayer. My house shall not be a house of gifted musicians. My house shall not be a house of gifted orators. My house shall not be a house of gifted comedians to woo the crowds and to win the people with their charisma. My house shall be a house of prayer. And if we are not contending in prayer, we are off the mark. You hearing me today, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul just said, I want you to continue steadfastly in prayer. Get back to praying. I want you to pray for me, that God would open up doors of ministry... Then I don't want you just to pray that God would give me opportunities to minister, but pray that I'm articulate and effective in sharing the gospel. That's why I'm in prison anyway. And then you make sure that you always speak with graciousness, seasoned with salt, and that you know how to answer each person. And so you see that the entire text, the entire flow is about the relationship between intercession and evangelism. Do you, it's about intercession and the harvest. Even when he says that you would speak graciously to unbelievers and that you would know how to respond, he's talking about having a response to unbelievers when they challenge you when you're sharing the gospel. So the entire flow of thought that Paul's working with here is primarily the intercession must be the sowing the seed to the reaping of the harvest. First, Paul says, I want you to continue Steadfastly in prayer. The word translated in our translation, continue steadfastly, is a single Greek word, which means to attend to constantly. To place prayer on the front burner. That's essentially what it means. So when we talk about the vision of our church, what kind of church we want to be, what kind of house we want to build, Paul is saying here, he's giving us the scriptural command to make sure that prayer is on the front burner, to make sure that prayer is essential to all that you do. Now, Lyndon Ravenhill, who is, I don't know, one of my favorite preachers, if not my favorite, would often say that prayer is the boiling room of the church, that that a, a, a church that is not praying is not working. And that a church who's not praying sometimes can even look fruitful on the outside. But how many know that more butts in the seats does not mean more people in the kingdom? Because there's a lot of churches, especially in the South, where we've got alcoholics and addicts and people living in affairs sitting in church every Sunday with a tie on, pretending like they're living for the kingdom when all the while they're totally bound by hell and nobody cares. You just keep pretending. And see, the, what he meant by the boiling room of the church is if the engine of the church is actually going to work, there's going to have to be some people hidden below crying out in prayer. So continue steadfastly in prayer. Many times we are okay with being prayerless. Oftentimes because we're okay with being, really ineff- we're okay with being ineffective. But, but Paul is not okay with prayerlessness. Be praying. Keep persevering in prayer. I oftentimes hear people say, I don't know how to pray. Church, figure it out. Learn. Come to prayer, lay on the ground, and listen. I don't care. It's a scriptural command learn to pray. Your kids need praying parents, your grandkids need praying parents. I, as the The pastor of this house. I need a praying church covering me. I need praying altar ministers. I need need folks who are shut in, crying out to God, asking that when we present the gospel, we would be effective in the harvest. If you feel purposeless, if you feel like, God, there's no vision to my life, I promise you it's because you're living prayerless. The method of prayer. Some promote methods of prayer. This prayer list, or this journal, or this walking in prayer, or this, I don't care what method of prayer you use. Jump and roll. Journal till you're blue in the face. Write all your prayer requests on the wall. I don't care what method. You use; just find one that works. The point is, Paul says, you are not allowed to quit. You are not allowed to quit praying. Be watchful in it, he says. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful. What does watchful mean? What does that imagery intend to stir up in you? Obviously, the idea of watchers on the wall watching for an enemy through the night, it means to be alert. It means to be attentive. When the Scripture says to be watchful in prayer, it means that you are not to be slothful in prayer. You are not to be asleep. You are not to slumber. You're not to grow stale. Think of Jesus. I I used to teach this all the time. Think of Jesus' life. I think the height, the highest moment of Jesus' earthly ministry is is on the the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is transformed transformed before the disciples eyes and they see him in all of his glory and he's wrapped with brilliant light speaking to the father and the scripture says that Moses and Elijah were there speaking with him but you remember in Luke's account Luke said that the disciples were asleep that they woke up and went oh no we almost missed that so in the height of Jesus' ministry the disciples were slumbering and then the depth of Jesus' ministry the most sorrowful hour of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, where He, cra- where he cries and prays and, sh- and sweats, and where He's groaning, where our Savior, who would bleed for our redemption, was wrestling through all of His agony in prayer. He, he turns to his, the disciples, His best friends, and says, Wake up! Can't you watch for me with one for one hour? Can you for one hour pray with me? Now, the implication of Paul saying that you must be watchful is that your natural tendency is to slumber. Our natural state, church. Hear me. None of us in the room are above slumbering. All of us, without intent and without um, regularly having a fasting life, you need to learn to fast to wake yourself up. Without building in routines of prayer, prayer is not easy. Anyone who tells you that prayer is easy it knows nothing of what it means to really pray. Like like praying for for two hours is not not easy work. And so don't hear me saying today, I want you to be a praying people. It's going to be really easy and really nice. No, you start to pray. You're going to feel the resistance of hell. And you'll feel the resistance of your flesh. Right? I, you, you want to go to sleep. You're tired. You, you just, is this even working? I often, this is my struggle. I say this all the time. Sometimes I find that I only pray long enough to ease my conscience. Because I know I'm supposed to pray. And so I pray and pray and pray. And then I think, okay, I did it. Without ever really scratching the depths of what it means to travail in prayer or groan in prayer. Your grandparents, if you had believing grandparents, talked a lot about the concepts of groaning or travailing in prayer. The concept of travail, again, it's, it's, it's grabbed from uh, Elijah. As he's praying, you remember he, the, the cloud. He's praying for rain, and he, he keeps telling his servant, "Go see if there's a cloud." And the scripture says that he has his head tucked between his knees. And so it's the concept of childbirth, like a woman pushing, is what what our theologians of old would talk about. So so it's the idea of Elijah. Think of Elijah with his head in between his knees, groaning, groaning, crying out, "Oh God, move, God!" And and it's it's groanings to deep words Roman Romans chapter 8. And so sometimes in intercession our our church history will talk about people they're not even articulating uh, an understandable language they're just crying out ah But it's the language of the spirit. The spirit knows exactly what ah means. Sometimes that's all I know how to pray. And so what Paul is saying here is that you must be watchful in prayer because your natural tendency is to go a, go to sleep. And when you go to sleep, you will be ineffective. What, what we do, what we do is, and again, I'm, I'm not throwing stones this morning at all, I'm not, because I, I know what it's like to struggle, I promise you. I'm just saying that you, we got to keep getting back up, we got to keep wrestling. But what we do is, we, we settle into a, a normal routine of life, where we, statistically, um, church attendance is recorded in, in polls as twice a month. If you attend church twice a month, you're you're considered a a regular church attender. I've told you before that that is mind-boggling, again, to our great-grandparents. Regular attendance meant like 51 weeks out of the year, like maybe once you were sick. Um, But what we do is if you attend church twice a year, we feel like, okay, Christians, or twice a month, we feel like, okay, Christians, and we just kind of go through the motions, and yeah, like the church is good, and things are going great, and there's nothing to complain about, and we just smile, and what we're actually doing is we're just letting the world happen to us. And then maybe we have a life trial, right? Like maybe someone gets sick and dies or we get cancer and then we all cry out in prayer and we press. And But we just, we essentially, we just let the world happen. The church is, is supposed to happen to the world. You guys hear what I'm saying? We're not supposed to lean back and just let life happen to us. I'm supposed to happen to this region. This church is supposed to happen to this city. Do you hear me? We are supposed to happen to the, to the alcoholics in the low country. We are supposed to happen to the, to the, to the drug addicts and to the sex addicted. We are supposed to happen to the businessman who pretends like everything's going okay, but he lays in bed at night feeling totally purposeless. I'm supposed to happen to him in the place of prayer, and then we're supposed to pray for opportunity to, to grab hold of him, to snatch him from the fires of hell. We are not to let life happen to us. We happen to life. We are supposed to collide with demonic powers and agendas. In prayer and watchfulness, we are a force for hell to reckon with. We don't just sit by and wait for hell to attack us every now and then, and then rally the troops to try to try to push back, and then when it's all said and done, let's go back to just our normal lives. He says, be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. This is just a little nugget that Paul just dropped us. How do we combat drowsiness? Because we grow drowsy. We grow, we grow in slumber. How do we combat slumber with thankfulness? In other words, be watchful in prayer as you keep the testimony of what God has done through prayer in your community. And so I, I, I keep myself awake in prayer by reminding myself with thanksgiving that my prayers work by reminding myself with thanksgiving that there are some of you in the room who were totally bound by hell two years ago, but God snatched you and plucked you by reminding myself that I've seen close friends, totally addicted, get set free and on fire for God as I've prayed and contended. I remind myself that the Spirit of God is powerful as the church cries out in prayer. And I am thankful for everything that God has done. I remind myself that this church, for a season, it felt like we couldn't get any traction under us. But we didn't just go after programs. We went after prayer and went after fasting. And God answered our prayers. And so as we look forward, I keep myself awake by being thankful for all that God has done. He's healed the sick here. He's driven out demons here. He's set addicts free here as we've prayed I am thankful that God hears my voice and your voice. When I slumber and when I sleep, we need to get serious about thanksgiving, remembering that prayer works. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, is powerful in its working, is effective in its working, James wrote. I don't need to tell you again, I probably told you a hundred times, that that James, the half-brother of Jesus, when he died, he was he was martyred that they, they they the young men all came to rub his knees because they called him camel knee James because he had a habit of praying on his knees and so his knees were so physically deformed because he believed in prayer and so when he says the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much that wasn't lip service that was coming from a man with deformed knees and that's the heritage of the church the heritage of really being about the harvest so he says to the Colossian church again, who's been bitter, fighting about doctrine. He's saying, look, water under the bridge. It's resolved. Get back to being watchful in prayer. Then he's going to begin to talk about um, how prayer in particular relates to the harvest. So he's going to say, pray for me that God would open a door of ministry. Here, he wants the church to remember that prayer is directly related to the, to the effectiveness we have as it relates to the harvest, as it relates to seeing people saved. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, In their case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this world, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When we're talking about unbelievers, Paul says that the enemy blinds their eyes so that they cannot see the glory of Christ. Then he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What did he just say? The church has an enemy. A demonic enemy who tries to veil the eyes of unbelievers and tries to shut the door for the church to be able to minister effectively. Every city Paul ministered in, he stood up, he preached with all of his heart, and then he's pounded with stones because hell needs him to shut up. So in other words, Paul's just, he's just teaching us that you have a call to happen to the earth, for the church to impact her community. You're not to let your community in culture impact you. You happen to it. But remember that hell, Satan and demonic powers are trying to shut you up, are trying to blind the eyes of unbelievers. And the way that you combat them is prayer, intercession if you are ineffective in sharing the gospel, it might be because we're not sowing the groundwork of prayer first. And Paul is saying, you need to remember that you wrestle with demonic powers over your region. Think solely about our region, about Hilton Head, Bluffton, in a little further. Think about this area. The scriptural presentation, I don't care about your Western worldview, I really don't. I really don't. The scriptural presentation is clearly that there are demonic powers still assaulting our community today. I don't know why we tend to think that there were a lot of demons when Jesus walked the earth, but now they went away. Like, that's not in the New Testament. Like, there are demonic, this is the Bible, there are demonic Powers assaulting our community. And do you know who's supposed to do something about that? You and me. And if we just sit back and let our community be pounded by hell, shame on us. Shame on us. We're supposed to wrestle her down. We are supposed to pin down the demonic strategies of hell as we pray for an open heaven, an open opportunity to share the gospel. So, Paul says, pray that God would open a door for effective ministry. Now, you could could call this for a divine appointment. Paul is saying, as I go into a new region, pray that somehow I'll get the opportunity in a synagogue, or in the marketplace, or just through relationship in houses, pray that God would open up opportunities for me to be able to share the gospel. And so we need to actively be praying that in our region we have aha moments, divine moments, where we, where we pray that God just, for some reason, gives us the opportunity to have a serious conversation with our coworker. That for some reason, so, uh, a neighbor just spills their heart. That we have these divine moments to speak gospel truth. That hell is pushed back. That eyes of unbelievers are opened. And that we have opportunity to step in and preach the gospel, to share our faith. And then Paul says, pray also that we would be um, articulate, clear, sharp. And so I pray that all the time for us, for me and for you. That we wouldn't just be a people who share the gospel kind of sloppily. But we would be sharp in our presentation. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Pray that I would have opportunity. And pray that I'm sharp in my presentation of the gospel. That I cut. That I'm effective. That I preach clearly as I should. We'll get ready to wind down. And then he says... Walk in wisdom towards the outsiders. Meaning, walk purely. Speak graciously. Because remember that your lives are a testimony to the truthfulness of the gospel. And and we're not to be a people who are harsh and offensive. Because as representations of Christ, we need to represent Him well to our community. And he's talking about witness here. If we live in darkness, and sin, and anger, and wrath, we will damper down our witness. We can pray for opportunities to preach, we can pray that we're sharp in the preaching, but if we live like hell, then we're actually spitting on our own opportunities. And so Paul says, make sure you walk in wisdom, let your speech be, grazed, be seasoned with grace, and then pray that you would know how to answer every question. What does he mean by that again? He means your coworker opens up to you. My marriage is falling apart. I I feel worthless. I feel like I can't get on top. And you say, "Let's talk about your faith. Let's talk about what you're living for. Let's talk about forgiveness in the gospel of Christ." Your coworker says, "But I don't believe in God or some other apologetic question. Why would a good God allow me to suffer?" Or, if Christians really believe what they believe, why do they live this way? Paul's saying, pray that you have the right answers when they bring questions. Because there are answers. Ask for wisdom and discernment in those moments. Now, what did he just tell us, though? That we are supposed to live with mission and purpose, and the boiling room of our church must be the prayer room, the hour of prayer, He says, pray that you would answer their questions with logic, wisdom, and truthfulness, that you would have discernment, but make sure you pray. Seth, come for me. We'll get ready to close. I'll just say, um, quickly, the, um, the intercessors of old, and so... Oh, Seth got me a couple years ago. Um, The Life of John Hyde, Praying Hyde is who he's called. Um, You can't borrow my copy. It's sacred to me. I'm kidding. But you guys know how I'm about my books. Don't ask for mine. Buy your own. Um, And I was just flipping through Hyde this week, who you should read. My God prayed heaven down in India. And um, I was thinking about the way that the missionaries of old and Hyde and Nash were around the same time. Father Nash, same time period. Nash obviously being in the States, high being in India. Um, they talked a lot about this concept of covenanting in prayer. Again, we don't talk about this stuff. I have no idea why. Um, but but they used this language that they would... Um, so even Nash, I believe his prayer partner's name was Kerry, the last name Kerry. And so when you read um, accounts of Nash, there's always this one guy. Sometimes there are two or three other guys with him, but there's usually one guy with him, and I think his last name was Kerry. Um, and so even even Nash... I had a prayer partner who went with him, fasted with him, and they would covenant in prayer, meaning that they would they would make a pact and When you start talking about revival in our nation or moments where God moved there 's almost always a, a prayer covenant under it um, man i 'm thinking about so many different movements flooding my head right now, where some college students meeting in a room said to each other, "I covenant with you, I make a pact with you i won 't quit praying." You don't quit praying. We're going to meet here every week and pray until revival comes to our city. And, and then some group of individuals actually doing it and praying heaven down. That happens so many times. So they would talk about these covenants of prayer. And, and oftentimes when Father Nash would go to a new city, right, new region, he's, maybe he's in a boiler room. He doesn't have a, a proper place to sleep. But he would gather some of the church and he would say, I want you to covenant with me for the next three weeks before Finney comes. We're going to pray our guts out. We're going to pray till we're blue in the face. We're going to pray until we got nothing left. And again, praying through the whole night, they would. Um, so this concept of covenanting prayers is, is, is really interesting and um, has been powerful in church history. I'm saying that to say, I feel, um, I told Seth last week, I felt in my spirit, in my heart, that God was saying that he's about to release a fresh fight on our church. That, that and this is just the life of a church man it's, it's, there's no shame but churches wrestle with demonic and so there are times where it feels like ah we're getting our butts kicked and, and I felt like oh, maybe we're getting our butts kicked a little bit over the last couple of months and I felt like God said in prayer last weekend we were praying together I felt like God said I'm about to give you some fight I'm about to release some fight on, on your church in prayer there's about to be some serious prayer take place and so I felt again in prayer I, I've felt with all the humility I have, this is, I'm not saying this with an ounce of arrogance. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm about to pray some stuff down. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that with arrogance, but I'm, 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 about to, I'm about to step into a season where I'm about to, I'm gonna make my intention to pray heaven open and to tear down some powers in this region. And I'm asking this morning for the next several months if there's anyone in the room who would covenant with me. For the next several months is there anyone in the room who would say i'll be there wednesday night i'll put my face in the ground i will make an extra effort to pray some stuff down in our area now we've talked about um over the last couple months we were praying about building project and if god's going to continue to grow our church and we felt the elders and i have felt like we have some strategy for the coming season and we'll share all of that with you in the future but i feel like god wants us to get back to the harvest and to see some souls radically redeemed and transformed. And I'm asking, if you go ahead and stand to your feet, I'm asking if there are any in the room who would come to the altar today and say, I'll partner with you, I won't quit praying until we see some break. And if that's you, I want you to go ahead and come to the altar. I want you to hit your knees and I wanna ask you to pray with me this morning. If you're in the balcony, I wanna ask you to come. Come on, when it's uncomfortable, I know that prayer gets hard, I know that prayer wears you out, but I'm going to make it a commitment to pray over the next three months. Miss Jackie, would you come for me? i gonna put you on the spot. Would you pray for us? Miss Jackie has covered us in prayer for years. I'm going to ask her to lead us.
1: I thank you, Holy Spirit. I ask that you would come. You would fall by fresh fire on everyone kneeling here. That you would grip us with the urge to pray. That it would no longer be just an easy decision. But you would grip us. I pray your spirit to come. Your spirit to hover. To touch each one here, even as the altar team goes behind and touches each one, that fire would come, that fire would hit you. God, cause us to be a church that prays, cause us to be a church that pulls down strongholds in the name of Jesus, that you would wake us up in the night and we would say, this is what I need to pray for today. I need to pray for the addicts in our community to be delivered in the name of Jesus or this is what I need to pray for. I need to pray for those that, that are just slumbering to awaken in the name of Jesus. Move on each one of us. Move throughout this congregation that it would not be a safe place to come in unless we wanted to give our hearts to you. That it would be a place where where the enemy would have to stop at the front door because we're so filled with the Spirit of God. Just come, Holy Spirit.
0: Seth leaders just for a moment.